This is where usually there's some kind of music faff at the beginning, which fades in, and it sounds like we've been having a long conversation for ages. Uh, so this is the South African Composers Archive. So you will know my next guest for her work with the visual artist Mawande Kazenzile, uh, her work with the Warawaras, with Garth Erasmus and Jethro Lowe, who you may have seen at the InSync Poetry Sessions at the Fugard Theatre. You will know her for her work with the award-winning Addis Ababa Ensemble, as well as the music for the dance production Grasp and Repeat. You will more recently have seen her give a performance-slash-lecture at Penn University uh, called Listening for a New Nation, and you will have seen her at what I thought was the best fucking concert I've ever seen in the C7, and that includes all my own music that has been performed there with the Koi Connection. I introduce you multi-instrumentalist composer and improviser Larissa Johnson, who, I, of course, I memorized all of this, and I haven't been staring at, at what's going on in front of me. Good job. Thank you. I'm, I'm very impressed with my cramming that I did yesterday. <laughs> so let's jump straight into it. Who or what inspired you to start a career in music? So I don't come from like a music family, um, literally no one. So it's really weird that I think that you kind of follow a professional path not having anyone right. that does it, right? Um, this is something I'm not familiar with at yeah, all, exactly. let's be honest. You're like the but, complete opposite. Yeah. But my mom was like quite into getting us to do like cultural things as kids. Um, and at the time, JPO was still a thing and quite a big thing when right. I was a kid. And they had a lot of um, children's concerts. And one of them I went to hear was the... I don't know who was playing, but they played the Walton Viola Concerto. Okay. And I was like, yes, right. I'm going to play that thing. Right, right, right. Um, but I was so... My hands were so small. And even now, like, playing viola is really uncomfortable, even though I, like, really love it. But I <clears throat> was basically told, like, start on violin, get used to that, and when it feels good, like, feels good for you, we'll, like, push on to viola. Right. Um, maybe it was probably, like, quite hard to find a viola teacher and find violas at the time as right. well. Right. And one of my school friends' mum was a violin teacher. She's now, like, very into the Baroque kind of um how do you call this early 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 music, music. yeah what do you call them historically informed oh yeah, yeah 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 she's amazing tanya spiller she lives in Joburg. i always um, think when they do that they have to do the whole thing like you know ignore dentistry and, and personal hygiene <laughs> like yeah no. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes i don't know the the new music the uh the baroque specialists that i know they do kind of follow those really <laughs> <I'm kidding>. uh, <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> so, so that's where I kind of started out um, and then I never really got to viola until I met Sarah which was much much later I'd already been at UCT for a year or two you were studying violin I was studying violin yeah. um, after a whirl at um, Stellenbosch okay. doing not music okay yeah so I'd spent like kind of the whole of primary school and had gone through kind of the youth orchestra scene in Johannesburg and South African National Youth Orchestra and that kind of space um, and grew up in those spaces and it was really really wonderful and then took a kind of breather for a year and a half where I didn't really play that much and then decided that I wanted to go that route again um, and went to UCT um, and so I was studying with Patrick Goodwin right. and it was really a wonderful time with him and it solved a lot of 
technical issues for me. I hadn't had like a very strong technical training, I would say, because I feel like I maybe had a really good ear and got a, got away with a lot of things that nobody right. bothered to fix because of that. And that wasn't going to work right. for, for Patrick. And so he, he solved that. And I think he gave me more than anything, like a really great sound. Right. Um, and I really appreciate my time with, with him for that. Um, and so now I'm not really playing any kind of wasting classical. So at UCT, there was it a case that you were doing it at the same time, or did you switch across to more sort of traditional African instruments? You did something through ethnomusicology, or yeah. unofficially? So I had started in like a straight BMO's performance um, with like in Western classical, like very you know seven hours on A level right. or B level, whatever and did that for a year year and a half and then i met dizu plaikis and really really wanted to play mouth bows and he made me play uhadi for a little while first right and he was like if you can do this then like maybe i'll do mouth bows with you so i was like cool watch me <laughs> right so i practiced like really really insanely yeah. and he was like oh you must be like a natural I was like no dude I just <laughs> practice really hard right and then he started um teaching me mouth bow which I took really really seriously and I I think that was like maybe I was one of the first in a long time for him who specialized in bows because most of his students were percussionists or right. played like um imbira so it was unusual I think at the time to be a like a bow specialist and especially a mouth bow specialist yeah. because it's so difficult to produce really good tone from, from it. what i understand it's a fucking hard instrument yeah. to to master or yeah to, to get a sound out yeah to get the sound yeah. is so frustrating and i think actually playing violin made that a doable thing okay not because it's like a comparative technical thing but just the frustration of getting a good sound out of violin yes and like knowing that it's possible like working for seven years yes. to get it and then yeah, getting yeah. it i think like having that kind of mindset that it is possible and then taking that into a new instrument even though the, the like technical application is completely different right um not so much spiccato on, on no. <laughs> oh my god imagine i'm gonna try it <laughs> Do, yeah, <no. laughs> extended yeah, technique so I'd met Dizu and then I was splitting my time. So I was doing the two instrument thing, but really weirdly because now it wasn't like violin and piano or whatever. I was yes. between two departments. And then by the end of second year, I was like, cool. I'm never going to be like good enough to play in an A-level orchestra. And anything less than that is not going to cut it for me. Right. And also, I don't think that I wanted to. At that point, it felt really stifling. I mean, felt... who wants to play Brahms exactly. for the rest of their life? Like... Yeah. And I felt like I'd started playing by then in the Alpha Street Quartet, which was really, really nice space to carry on playing kind of art music, but playing South African composed work. Right. Doing the research of finding that work or of like collecting that work and figuring out how to play it because I think there isn't really a performance practice or performance culture around South African art music yeah 
Um, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I mean, if I especially sort of like in in the string quartet kind of yeah. area, I think possibly more has been done in the string quartet than I think in any other, the, or possibly yeah. piano, piano works. Maybe. But I think there was that that period where uh, the Santonga quartet existed, right? And there were there was suddenly this growth of South African string mm. quartets because there were people who actually genuinely were interested Wait. in playing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there isn't really that much of a tradition I think as it were which is yeah, exciting really because nice. it means people can now do whatever the fuck they yeah. want it was a super creative process to not be able to listen to a recording and just be like yes okay yeah. this is what we think it is yes. um, so that was really 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 exciting and so I was doing a lot more I was like switching from the space of just playing orchestra all the time and like quite boring orchestra to be honest it was very rare that we were playing like particularly interesting yeah. work I think like Shots 5 was probably like the most interesting work that I played during that time and I don't even know if that was with UCT to be honest that might have been with nationals. like a nationals that does yeah. sound like something nationals would have done mm-hmm. um, or I remember them doing it like a couple of years yeah. ago so moving like more into creative space I was like okay A I'm not gonna like ever get to a place where I can play for a like great orchestra B, I don't think I want to because I think I'd be really bored. Yes. So what am I going to do? I'm like stuck in this BMOS program, like I need to make a plan. And at that point I decided I need to switch it so that I can be as open as possible by the time I finish it, that I can have a few parts. And so I decided to finish performance as far as I can, but then also add academics. So I took a whole lot of like scholarly parts at the same time. So I moved into the musicology program late, right. like three quarters of the way in, but was still taking all the performance credits at the same time. And it worked out. It was really hard. Like the last year was really hard, but it worked out in the end because I was able to, because I wasn't in like pure performance, I had a lot more flexibility than I think I would have had otherwise. Right. Um, so I didn't have to do like Mozart in my final violin recital or whatever because yeah. I didn't have to play a recital right right and so my final year I got to play things that I just wanted to play so we just did like technical stuff and then things that I wanted to play that's I, I mean that's a great position to be in yeah. I, I, so when when I was there uh Farida I made it pretty clear from like the beginning that like I'm not here to become the next soloist I have not that much interest in in orchestral playing um i'm here for composition mm. so her what i ended up learning with her and said like i remember her saying to me like there's really no point in you doing like the mendelssohn uh here's shostakovich second violin concerto right. or here's schnitke or kachaturium mm-hmm. composers that she felt like i might be interested in mm-hmm. and might be able to actually like apply to what i actually want yeah. to do um so yeah no it's, it's a lot of it's a, a great position to be in i suppose that's awesome yeah when did the slightly more kind of improvisation kind of writing your own stuff start i think messing around with alfred street quartet opened it up from a violin playing perspective i also started dabbling on viola around that that time and that opened up violin playing i mean who here can't admit that they once dabbled in some viola playing (laughs) i love viola Um, i wish i was a violist um (laughs) It's really hard. So I think that was like the opening point where I was like, okay, I can do 
something because it was a really wonderful group of people who were like not judgmental and it was really fun and we would just talk nonsense and make nonsense and yes. it was great but then also with Dizu once I'd like come over the hill of kind of the technical challenges of playing Mkube you then have to start constructing work so you can take the I suppose call it a repertoire but it's always adaptive and you have to figure out how it works in your body it's such an embodied practice and so it's always improvisational and I think that was really the big one for me was taking a composed work by for example Marusini or Dizu and taking the cycle however many I suppose bars it is it's like cyclic and then reworking that mm. um, and I would do that to practice so I'd just take the same one and do it for two weeks but change it every every day so I suppose that's how it kind of started for me and then moving into playing with Addis Ababa everything was composed collaboratively from scratch I think maybe one or two songs were these are songs that we reworked did you ever with like say Dizu have him sort of I don't know for want of a better phrase teach you to how to improvise or is it more kind of like from a like you feel it just sort of perspective yeah I, I never I was never taught definitely not not given like a practice for it but the way that he teaches or taught my lessons after because I think it's two parts the first part is technical challenges you have to stop and fix things but after that we would just sit and play together so he would start and then I would jump into his cycle and I suppose like cop like copying things that he does and then elaborating on that a little bit and then coming back and like trying to make it work with him so I suppose that is like a teaching it is a pedagogy in a way but it was never like instructional it reminds me a little bit of like how jazz and jazz improv is taught where I know like I think the players had to go and and sort of transcribe various solos right and just sort of figure out like okay well this is how this is how you improvise Mm. this is how someone else has done it yeah and yeah that sort of learning from like basically learning from what other people Mm -hmm. have done first and then making it your own kind of applying and often he wouldn't even play it on on for on on Mkhube for me. He would sing the song, and send me away, and right. then I'd have to come back with the Mkhube transcription. Right. So I think it is a very similar practice. Right. To that is just always oral. Although I did like develop for myself um, like a textual transcription practice just for my own memory right. um, and as like a pedagogical tool for myself. But that wasn't ever institutionalized between us. I mean, it's uh, it's is it based on sort of like a traditional kind of notation or your no. own own way of yeah. notating? Yeah, it's very because traditional notation would be so difficult because you'd have to notate the fundamental and then like and the create some yeah. indication of the overtone, and also the overtones are not precise. Right. So it'd be like really difficult, and so I just like marked it's like an embodied notation system so like where does it come from in my throat okay um so you you'll write like throat yeah. three quarters up yeah. so, okay yeah wow. yeah exactly. or i'll be like tongue on your palate or whatever oh, okay um, and that like i normally only do it for when it's like a really small 
change to control and overturn that I've found particularly difficult, then I make notes about it. Right, right, um, right. And it's just a practice tool, so I can do it over and over. Had you ever studied composition or anything sort of like Western classical composition or anything like that? No, uh, I wrote the fugues that you had to write for <laughs> music theory and analysis two right. or whatever, and failed them epically. <laughs> <laughs> I have memories of a friend of mine at, at Varsity who wrote a fugue subject which consisted of one note at the beginning of the bar and then three counts rest and then another note like at the beginning of the next bar and handed that in as an assignment. I can't remember what he got as a mark, but he was very proud of the boop, boop, boop kind of fugue. I mean, good um, for handing it in. <laughs> That's half the job done. Well, I mean, we. to be fair, it's not as if we were taking class too seriously. We created a human being who had uh, he never attended class, but we'd occasionally sign in for him, <laughs> kind of. His name was Stanley McGafter, and he came to all the, all the classes. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so, with studying, how did you take it further? You have been overseas now subsequently mm. you're still currently uh i now need to check you're not in america anymore i am you're still in america yes, yes. so tell me where are you these days what's going so on so i'm at the university of pennsylvania i'm doing my phd so american phds are insanely long they're great in many ways and not great in many ways and it kind of depends what do you need or want out of a program so the one thing about all of them is that they have coursework, which is unusual for PhDs if you come from a British schooling system. And so I'm in the middle of coursework at the moment, and it's really, really intensive because it's coursework for people who are expected to already be specialists in their field, which is a really, really bizarre nice. kind of mashup. So it's incredibly intensive. So I'm in the music department which is split between composers and scholars, and I'm in the scholar crew. But, not but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there on purpose, I really... Right. Um, I'm well-placed in the scholar crew, um, <laughs> and I'm working very much, like, theoretically. Because who wants to hang out with composers anyway? <laughs> yeah. I like those guys. You guys are cool. <laughs> Just in case. They're not going to listen to it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I really like working on social theory and cultural theory. And so I'm like kind of well-placed to be a scholar. But I've still, halfway through my first year, was like, I'm not going to manage if I don't do creative work. I can't think like that. Um, and so I've spent the last six months or so developing, trying to develop. It's not, it's not there yet. I don't think it can ever like be done, but I'm very far from there. Kind of working on method, so I've like stepped back from what my dissertation project will be, or like stepped back from the subject to work on methods, both how how I will collect, let's call it data, and how I will construct or develop the dissertation and disseminate it. And so I've moved into working very multimodally, which is a wonderful thing about being in the, in the American system, is that they are really well resourced and very supportive of moves to think beyond the text, yes. um, or generally supportive 
you'll at least find one person <laughs> who will help you do that. So that's what I've been doing and I have it another year and a half of coursework and then three or four years of research right. and then I can maybe have a PhD after that. So that's <laughs> what I've been doing. But right. I'm now trying to transfer into a joint program with Africana Studies, which is what I've been de facto doing and I just want to make it official so that my dissertation will be equally split for my advising mm. between the two departments because the, the dissertation itself is is more located in like political philosophy but thinking orally so thinking about listening right. rather than about the text so i think i'm like well located between the two departments okay i'm getting there yeah it's been crazy <laughs> yeah so from a writing performing kind of perspective mm-hmm. what was the first kind of what's the first time someone commissioned you for whatever better word or you know someone approached be it for money or not like someone asked you like hey i like what you do i want to hear more of it i suppose Addis Ababa approached me to like form oh, i don't know <laughs> this is hard maybe Mwande it was either Mwande Kazenzile who I met outside the high court Okay. <laughs> during, it must have been Roseman's Fall or something. And we spent quite a lot of time after that, thinking through some ideas together. I mean, from what I could see, it's a performance art piece. Yeah. He, I, there's photos of him sort of on the ground carving or something. Yeah, like he's that. like crushing maize. Right. Um, and I was playing Mkhobe and there was a goat. Okay. In the Stevenson Gallery. Okay. <laughs> in Johannesburg, people were like, what the hell is going on? I want to know who was in the lift when the goat <laughs> Trying was to bring the up lift. The lift. <laughs> um, so you walk out, it's like, I can highly recommend the, the coffee shop here at the <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but I don't know if that was necessarily a commission because it was a collaborative work. Oh, but, but it's still, it's the first time someone asking, yeah. like, hey, I've, I'm, I am aware of stuff that work. you've been doing. Yeah. Like, come and do it. With yeah. So that was probably the first one. And then Addis Ababa, kind of around the same time, the three of them, the um, kind of rhythm section and the front man had already started forming this thing yeah. and then asked me if I would be part of it. And I think I was part of the founding group I think maybe they had done like one or two things as the three of them but as the kind of founding formation of seven people it's quite a big yeah. big ensemble that was that was a big one that was there was a production of that at the Baxter yeah yeah that and was I remember seeing that I, I think I went to that yeah the theater upstairs yeah so it started out in Nyanga I think it's like a theater community theater it's like a really cool space so we did a few performances there first and then like the second stage because the baxter's theater festival is has like micro sites around cape town right. and then culminates at the theater itself right, like right a month later um so we've done a few shows before that um it was a really nice process actually because you get kind of feedback from baxter producers from the beginning and then it culminates in that final sure it was really interesting because it was it had to be musical theater in a way by the end and so that was really different different we are all musicians yes not actors and even though we were dealing with a lot of narrative that was the idea but 
it was always going to be structured by storytelling and weave through with storytelling. We had never conceptualized like the performativity beyond like the text and its musical realization. Mm-hmm. And so that that was like a really interesting process that like clashed a lot because we none of us were like natural stage performers. It's really <laughs> really interesting to to see that. Do you think that people who perform all the time can just perform it in any context and yes. it actually doesn't work like that at all and I didn't expect it to be that difficult for myself or for us as a as an ensemble I mean it was it was a fantastic production in yeah. the end I mean it, it, it is genuinely award winning yeah. one can <laughs> I, again I've done my research <laughs> like I, yeah no but it was it was a fantastic production yeah. I remember sort of everyone sitting up front in the line throughout the production it was sort of like not quite people taking turns or something like that if yeah. I remember correctly yeah um, it's also a couple of years now yeah it was a great so. experience and it was good like research time as well we were trying to think through like what the pan-African sound is so like we were really intentional about not just calling it pan-African I put that in air quotes for anyone <laughs> you can hear the, there, there really needs to be like an auditory cue for air quotes um but like really sitting down and formulating what that might sound like. Yeah. Um, and we did a lot of, really a lot of research and cut out a lot of stuff that we thought would be not. Like didn't, not true to the, the yeah. project or. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was, it was a really, really interesting experience with them. Very difficult. It was a very difficult project to put together. Lots of personality and it was a big group so seven seven or yeah, so people yeah getting rehearsals oh my god having done something with nine people once <laughs> like yeah no that it's crazy trying to i remember there was a cartoon we used to have hanging on the fridge or something of like you know jim can't do this rehearsal bob can't do this rehearsal it's like oh well you know he, he can do all the rehearsals yes but he can't do the performance uh, <laughs> so yeah um <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, one of the things that I like doing is trying to sort of show uh, one's growth, as it were, mm-hmm. from beginning to where we are. If you had something that you'd like to include as like an early example of your work, what would you, what would you use? So much happened in such a small, like so much growth <laughs> happened in such a short period of time. But maybe I have, I have like a recording that I made playing Mpobay in New York now almost four years ago I think three or four years ago and I'd been playing then for maybe a year and I just kind of started to be able to control my overtones and stuff like that and so it wasn't a performance I was like making in fact it kind of was I was like playing for for people I was on this residency and it was our last night and we were in a like just in a hotel room it's it's a recording that um was made in this room and it's just a really clean like solo recording but it sounds very different from how i play now it's really really interesting to like listen back on it it's technically very different but i also i'm not interested in the same things that i was interested in then right so like there I was looking for very very clean overtones that's what I was trying to practice I was like trying to get like the control between overtones and now I'm like a lot more interested in texture yeah. um, and so like the clarity of an overtone 
is only interesting to me after like a lot of layers it's not interesting to create like a whole load of very clear clear or clean overtones it is really interesting to create very textural layers and then produce something very clean out of that So you spoke about how you sort of invented uh, your own kind of notation system for mm-hmm. the, for this stuff. How do you work? How when you when you're putting together a project, say say like the art thing or any, you mentioned that you're doing some uh, film stuff at the moment. What's your process? So now my imperative is always intellectual. I'm like always asking a question, and then creative work is operating as an analytic in working around that question not necessarily answering it but helping me unpack it and I didn't used to work like that so it's sort of like conceptual kind Mm -hmm. of right yeah and so now I tend to start very much in an abstract realm reading a lot writing a lot I don't touch whatever the creative tool is or whatever the creative project product or project is for a little while I'm really like thinking through what the idea is that I want to work on for a long time, for a couple of months, weeks, months. It depends like how big the the project is. And then I get to a point where I'm thinking, okay, what is a tool that is best going to help me move through the question that I'm asking? Right. Because often text is not going to do that for me. Text is going to come to an impasse always because it's often... It assumes a linearity that can only go so far. And I found that image and sound has opened up spaces for me to think a lot more in like constellations and in cycles that help the particular questions that I'm trying to ask. So then I'll like move to the tool, which is an unusual way I think of working in academia because normally you choose a discipline, at least in the humanities, you choose a discipline because 
you think that that method, the method that defines that discipline will help you answer, will help you with the work that you are doing. So people go for, for method before they go for their subject matter. So right. somebody will say, I'm a sociologist or an anthropologist or whatever. They're defining their methodological imperative first. And I work backwards. Okay. I'm like interested in the subject and the question first and then thinking about like what is the best method and tool that will help me answer this thing. Is this more in like an academic sense when I like say you're creating a piece, do you approach it sort of a similar way? At the moment I'm like not separating those processes. Right. I okay. think. And maybe before it was very different. But also now I'm like completely alone. I'm like working alone. And so everything is meshing into right. one, like all my projects are kind of related to each other in some weird way. Right, fine. So I'm finding now that I'm producing a lot of audio essays and now moving into creating cinematic essays that are, it seems like audio essays that are becoming visualized. And I'm finding that really useful in dealing with a lot of the impasses that I've found in a lot of my texture, in a lot of my writing otherwise so that's kind of my process that I write a lot first and I get stuck and then I move to like the creative toolbox that I have available to me so I haven't really been in a space where I've been like producing creative work for its own sake at least for the last year and a half but that that's very interesting I mean it, it sort of raises I guess the whole question of what's the point in art why art like is it just for the sake of well it's pretty or <laughs> just like or like no fuck you sit down I actually have something to say yeah yeah I think I think that's quite important I know mm. I know we spoke about it I've spoken about it with other composers that yeah. whole thing of like if you're in in a position where people will listen to you then say something yeah like there, there's yeah. yeah i mean sure you can write stuff just for the sake of like oh that that's that's lovely mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah i don't know i find that stuff gets lost kind of easierly if that makes sense i'm mm-hmm. not sure yeah and i think that i i'm just like not that gifted to produce like really beautiful creative work on my own but i do dabble well in like ideas and so I think I'm just like shifting into the the space that I do work well in, which is not to like put myself down or whatever. I yeah, just no, don't I, think, I, hit, yeah. I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think like the whole thing of like collaborating and, and working with other people, I know I work very differently with the group than when I'm by myself. Mm. And I, it was so weird. It's one of the strangest conversations that I've ever had was uh being asked by someone how do you collaborate because this is from a slightly more uh established and experienced solo composer and i think like this opens up a whole other story but i do sometimes think there's in the slightly maybe older generation of south african composers there's a a sort of the lone ranger i'm on my fucking own and i will destroy everyone around Mm -hmm. me to get here Whereas I've definitely spoken with sort of younger generation composers of being like, we've all kind of been watching that and going, that's a bullshit way of doing things mm-hmm. and starting to like collaborate more. Yeah. Um, but it was just like an interesting question of like, how, how do you work with other people? It's just like, I don't know, I'm in the same room with them for an yeah. hour and I don't kill them. Or yeah. like, it's sort Something of... Something happens. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I listen to what they're saying maybe mm-hmm. and they listen to me yeah. and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
it, it's just it's interesting as or maybe encouraging to see that there is that sort of shift in, in how things are being yeah. done yeah. Um, and I found like collaborative work helps solo work as well yes um, definitely so I don't work like exclusively in either yeah you just find like a project comes up and then it works as either one right and yeah you just determine that 100 percent. yeah yeah um yeah so i've worked on like an amazing collaboration in the last year like an installation like video installation piece and now have shifted into like two solo video works but they're like completely informed by the breakthroughs that were made possible by yes. working with somebody else you know yeah. that i probably wouldn't have encountered working by myself because i'm like stubborn and you know wouldn't allow certain things to happen but was like forced to compromise and actually those compromises are like wonderful yeah for my brain but would never have happened otherwise 100 percent. i mean i think like just again thinking of myself but it's the thing of there have been plenty of i mean yes so like i've studied composition and i've i've done master classes and that kind of shit and i've been very much in like the western classical world for a very long time and then i will collaborate with people who might be writing sort of in a, in a western classical idiom or something like that but won't have studied it mm. or have studied it to a point and then will have maybe found their own solutions to things and it's that sort of having to train my brain to like actually listen to what someone's doing and mm-hmm. going like that actually works. And sometimes, like, I don't think I've ever said this out loud, but I do sometimes get a little bit envious of people who haven't kind of gone through that system of, like, this is how we fucking do things. And, like, then working with someone who has not had that whipped into one of this, like, oh, that freedom of, like, now nah, fucking do what you yeah. want. Like, you can do what you want. It's like, I can. Okay. <laughs> no one's ever told me this before, but it should. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, speaking of, who would you regard as sort of your biggest influences in what you do? I think all my collaborators from the last kind of three years that I was in Cape Town, to be honest. So... Mm you yay (laughs) but i mean like that's so working with lulu and shat with alfred street quartet dizu garth and jethro koi connection yeah because they like all of these people are doing really incredible things on their own and then have taken time to teach me and engage with me and like create and generate like really wonderful things with me so absolutely that and then there's there's obviously like music that I go back to and listen to a lot. I'm like quite obsessively always returning to Tina Ruin. Okay. Um and to Juana Molina. She's like an Argentinian probably like from the early loop looping okay. wave. But she's like really, really good. Yeah. So I think like my the people that I consider my teachers really. Right. Um I mean the koi connection are fucking phenomenal yeah like i think mean, i've seen them a couple of times and every time i've seen them it's just like this is fantastic yeah like 
and the as I mentioned earlier, the the production that you did. This was as your like final year. Yeah, uh, that was my final recital. Recital yeah. with them was amazing. Yeah. Like I, I know I said to you at the time, just like this is the coolest or the best thing I've seen at the C7, and I include my works in there, and I'm gonna get a lot of angry letters from people who don't really listen to this anyway. But that's not the <laughs> point. Uh, it was fucking cool. So yeah. Anyway, it's just, <laughs> it has yeah. has to be said. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm sure they just them as a group. I I know they've been playing in festivals and stuff quite a bit, yeah. but I I feel they should be getting much more recognition really than they what they are. Yeah, their like capacity for imagination is just like unrivaled. I've never encountered people ever yeah. again, like before or ever again, who can just like generate like magic. <laughs> yeah, no, it's incredible, absolutely incredible. South African composers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I suppose Neo. I mean, yeah, Neo, definitely. Yeah. yeah. How would you describe your current style? You, you mentioned that you've gone from that you've changed and you're thinking about things very differently these days. Like musical style. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than fashion, or yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because I'm going for like a Parkhurst mum. <laughs> <laughs> That wasn't clear. Yeah, it was Cliff. I mean, soccer mom. You blend right in. <laughs> Thank you. Know. God, I sound like, like if I would, if I would describe it to you, I would sound like a Putamayo. Um, a what? Compilation. You know, just like no. world music. Okay. Cafe. That like makes you want to puke. Okay. <laughs> Oh, it's so hard because I'm in the space where I'm in a music department that's quite conservative and has very particular ideas of what music is and should be having to teach in a course called world music and culture from American perspective to American students and I want to do that in a way that I feel is like ethical that can best engage them in the world that I can use my position as somebody who's quite different to them to introduce them to something very different than what they might experience otherwise but it's a very difficult course to teach because it's like around the world in 80 days musically right Right. Um, and so like you can only do that from a deeply colonial lens it's very difficult to avoid kind of an area studies mapping of the world and assigning like a music to a nation formula for teaching a course like that so say to be fair at least it's like it's looking a little bit beyond Ronnebosch main roads so (laughs) anyway that's true (laughs) shots fired shots fired anyway yeah sorry (laughs) 
am. And so, so because of that, I'm like having difficulties with like music, air quotes. No. <laughs> you need to find a sunny oh, marker, like a pop, pop, pop. Like a, a, a quack or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Um, because I want to like start thinking about things as sounding practices rather than named music. Because yeah. I think by calling something music, it's always going to be organized as like Western art music centering itself as music and right. everything else must be compared to that right so even when we teach music outside of that canon we're using the language that was created to describe western art music to describe music outside of that right of right um even if those concepts don't exist in those sounding practices so even where music doesn't exist as a term a conceptual term in the language or in the culture of that sounding practice that we're describing right we call it music and i think that's like quite you know i i don't think that's doing like service to the thing that we're trying to understand so that's kind of where i'm at from a maybe from an intellectual perspective at the same time i obviously love listening to quote-unquote music um (laughs) and especially music from the african continent this is like what i specialize in yeah and I'm really interested in, I'm like starting to formulate, I'm not going to put it on this podcast because <laughs> somebody's going to steal my idea, but okay. <laughs> starting to formulate like a little documentary. Okay. We can talk about it. Off, after. Yeah, off air, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like my, the things that I'm interested in listening to are contemporary music from the African continent. I don't really differentiate it in terms of genre. I'm really, I'm like as fascinated by what we would call like the classical genres as I am by like Afropop trash. Um, Really, really into the South African jazz scene right now. Like what the younger crew are producing. Tandy and Tuli, Carl Shepard, really obsessed with Kani Daya. Especially Tandy, I just, oh my god, I'm obsessed. Please interview Tandy and Tuli. So I actually, while I was going through your Facebook thing yesterday, I saw an article you put up about her, and I've added her to the list. Okay, so, really. like, <laughs> literally last night. Awesome. <laughs> so, she's yeah. amazing. Yeah, really, really, like, I'm never gonna be like those guys, like those of proper composers. I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, what, what's the sound for wanky just Yeah, no. Um, but like really, really influenced by them and I listen to them when I'm writing. I'm not producing any quote-unquote music right now and so I don't know if I have a, a style necessarily, but I am producing audio essays that have sonic content that could maybe be musical it's quite abstract there's a lot of bow work in it um a lot of vocal work i'm trying not to overproduce anything too much but it also has to do intellectual work for me and so i avoid including something because i think it's beautiful if it's not doing work for the kind of argument that i'm trying to make in the in in an essay Right. And that's really difficult to do when you've like made a really beautiful clean recording, but it doesn't actually do anything for the work that you're trying to make. Right. Um, 
that's been a really difficult shift for me, but I think it's really important. That is it from like a compositional technique as well. It, it it's very important to learn what is what the piece needs at that time because it's like as much as one wants to try and like shoehorn something in of like but the sound's so cool. Yeah. It might completely affect mm-hmm. the the overall work yeah um so that that is like i guess it's learning to self-edit which yeah. is very very it's important <laughs> it's difficult it's very yeah. very difficult yeah and then i want to like my next i do have a like music plan i have two kind of projects that i've been holding off the one is that when we made wara wara which was garth jethro and i i approached them to help me with to collaborate with me on my final year thesis um because if you're a musicology student they essentially pull an honors length thesis a year early at the SCCM and so I like went overboard Mm. and mixed my African music performance project and my thesis together so the performance that you saw was the same work it was part of the same work as the thesis itself and so we had actually worked together almost a year before that performance happened and the performance that we did at NSYNC was like a progress marker in that process so it was all the same work kind of taking different iterations over a year but I have a lot of recording from that time they're not like studio recordings they could never be because they were made in improvisation Um, and so I think they're they're what they should be and they're current state even though the quality is like not that great the quality of the recording but the quality of the performance is just superb and it would never have been that had we tried to reproduce it in studio so i have all of these recordings and i've just never done anything with them and i really want to do a project that i can give back to jethro and garth and so i have to figure out what that is i've been trying to think that like maybe i want to animate that because a lot of Jethro's poetry um, comes up in those recordings Um, and so I think I want to make a video work around some of that that content and then I want to do a solo Mkhobe piece the thing about one of the really difficult things about Mkhobe is that it tires you out like anyone will tell you it's really difficult to play like more than 20-25 minutes straight I don't think anyone does because they'll play like a piece and then there'll be something else and then they'll sing or whatever and it's unusual that you hear it played solo it's normally played in collaboration with singing or something like that and so (laughs) people take a break as other things as the layers add up you can just like stretch your embouchure or whatever but i really want to try do like a 40 minute solo maybe recording i mean i think if it could be a live performance it would be amazing and so i think that that might be i'm trying to build a tool with another he's he's at pen he's a sound engineer not really like a loop but something in um what is that thing called mac 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 i can't remember yeah as in like soft software software yeah uh, like live um composers Ableton? use it all the time no 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 it's like you're doing an electroacoustic performance it's the sort of it, is it that board thing uh. the <coughs> chaos pad or something, yeah, like, something yeah. like that i don't know anyway yeah point being to give myself like small breaks without looping 
Right. So that I don't, because I don't want to manipulate too extensively, but I don't think that I'd be able to like get my armature to the strength of like four how does one even impossible. i guess that that is also just practice like to to build those muscles up i guess it's you know the same reason i have carpal tunnel it's yeah. just that kind of yeah yeah that, that physical yeah but i don't sure. know if it's possible well challenge accepted you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey. yeah oh. but i'd love to do something that just like takes maybe like four five six of the like really classic repertoire as like a tribute work like completely solo because I don't think anyone has heard Mkhobe like solo by itself for a really long time right Right, you hear like pieces of it and it's like really beautiful I'm sure and I've seen that there's a lot of players now like a lot of people are using popping up yeah and I think Dumama's Mm -hmm. recently as well yeah it's great. It's yeah. fantastic. Like Lungiso and I were talking about this uh, recently. I point like this because she was sitting there. But <laughs> the point is that um, talking about how it is something that is officially available in in South African on the syllabus mm. for South African music, but I think there's like one school that actually that teaches it. it. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that slowly kind of coming in and mm. growing. If you had an example of something current, what would you include? Sort of a recording or something. I think probably a section of an audio essay. Well, uh, I'm actually working on a film right now, but um, if I would like describe it as a genre, it would be a cinematic essay, but it's very much um, dictated by sound or organized by sound rather than the other way around. I think that's like kind of most, what is the word that I'm looking for? Most representative, representative of friend. what I'm working on and how I'm what what my quote-unquote aesthetic is now mm. um yeah so it's mostly constructed of my voice and and um and a few excerpts actually from warawara's recordings and it's a piece that like kind of moves between south africa and america and is thinking about these two spaces so it is actually weirdly like a, a piece that does think back and is like Mark sonically. So it's like doing kind of the work that we've been talking about right, now, okay. um, but in a, like asking different questions. When I think of talking with my father, raising my voice or moving to the side where he can hear better, my ear sympathetically buzzes a screeching tone while I try to fall asleep in the quiet dark night. And I remember pushing comrade strangers between the exterior walls of Azania House and those curiously tropical trees at Fraven's entrance, covering a mouth, don't scream so we wouldn't be found and pulled by our clothes and our hair, dragged across the tar to waiting hippos, as if those screams would be audible above the chaos of evicting an occupation. They were. And I remember before the chaos, continuing to write and talking with comrades and friends, 
the tension outside and the quiet focus of strategy in Archie Mafeje's room. And I imagine this room 50 years ago, when it was first occupied in protest of the rescinded lectureship of the black man for whom it is now named. And these halls, filled by very different faces, but filled nonetheless. Those students stayed nine days in autumn 1968, but Mafeje never arrived. The fallers stayed the 19 nights until roads came down. But free education is not yet won. How do you survive or make a living as a composer, performer? So I'm in a ridiculously privileged position in that my PhD, so I'm a Fulbright Scholar, which comes with a scholarship from the National Research Foundation in South Africa. And then I'm also a fellow at the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school. And the joy of Ivy League schools, which are faulted in many, many, many ways, is that your fellowships are fully funded for at least five years. Yeah. Um, and so essentially, I am paid to research and to teach. And so anything that I create or anything that I produce in my creative capacity, I don't have to do for money right now. Right. And it is completely freeing. And I wasn't in this position before. And so I was like working in the library and doing internships at the Ezekiel Museums and making very little money gigging. So I've never actually been able to live off performing ever right. I've always had to do something else so yeah. that's the long and short of it and I don't think that I'll ever ever try to be honest I think okay. I'll always try keep research as the thing that sustains me because I find a lot more joy producing creative work when I don't have to rely on it to survive fair enough yeah definitely I know it, it is that thing of some people need that pressure I definitely need like that uh, oh fuck I need I have rent kind of <laughs> like okay quickly shit out something mm -hmm. like so yeah no, it, I mean not to each their own but totally yeah I, it is nice though it must be lovely to have that kind of freedom yeah you know, thing absolutely yeah. yeah and I don't have to play weddings anymore yeah <laughs> my new year's is i'm playing a gig somewhere <laughs> so exactly yeah like it's free december oh my goodness i haven't do you know what i mean like right. i haven't been on a wine farm to play somebody's trashy ass wedding once yes it's wonderful so how are the waves these days <laughs> <Yeah>. wonderful <laughs> um so of the, the various sort of i know there there have been th some things that we've spoken about, I think, uh, privately talking about, like, exhibits and stuff that you've mm -hmm. been performing at and things like that. But of all these shows, do you have one that's, like, a favorite memory of, like, this is one of my favorite shows that, that you were involved in? I really loved putting together our um, performance with Lulu, Lungis um, with mm. and the Shad Ensemble. I felt that, like, my contribution was taken really seriously in a setting that wasn't like artist group, for example, where we were composing from the beginning together. It was right. like a very different experience. 
but I just really, more than that, I just really loved the performance. I thought that the audience was really great. I it just remembered that as like yeah. a really, really fun performance. Yeah. Um, and I still like sometimes listen to the recording, so I just like feel really, really good about it. So I wish that we had more more of those. And it, well, I mean, you did choose to kind of leave South Africa. I know. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. We, we should take that somewhere else. That's true. We could actually, yeah, go somewhere else. the first ever Alfred Street Quartet performance that we did in um, Anna, the other violinist, still lived in observatory at the time and we mm. did it in her living room. Was the just, drawing and colouring yeah, in and stuff like, like that? Yeah, like had people colouring in and there was like, we were just like organised to have a bunch of food and it was just really lovely. It was just like very obs and I have such fun <laughs> memories of observatory <laughs> Yeah, that was really, really lovely. And there were children as well. It was really nice to have um, children in the in an audience. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think those those ones. Playing. You asked for one and I'm giving you You're three. Mul- <laughs> multiple is welcome. Yeah. <laughs> the InZinc session with Rara Wires was so much fun. This is at the Fugard. Yeah. At the Fugard. We were like... So the thing about Rara Wires is it's improv all the way. We have like a kind of idea of what we're gonna do and it never goes that way. (laughs) We kind of know like the like the narrative that we wanna construct. We talk about the story, we know what we wanna tell the people, we know like the energy that we wanna create in the space. And the rest is just like let the ancestors take control. (laughs) So they are just like for me at the time, maybe now I'll be a little bit more chilled about it, but I have severe stage fright, so I was like never made to be a performer, firstly. 
So at the time, it was just like so stressful for me every time we performed. Like the moment before, it's just like, oh my God, this is going to fall apart. This is going to be the worst. And we're like collaborating with other people now who don't know the process. Like mm. working between the three of us is fine because we see each other every week and we know how we kind of get things together. We're now working with other people. And it just was so wonderful in the mm. end it was also like a really wonderful wonderful audience like packed fugard yeah and working with peter and adrian is awesome they're amazing poets and they just mm. put together an incredible show so it was really really great and it is a really wonderful way of working just being like okay this is the story that we want to tell and we're going to hold energy like that that's our imperative is to hold energy mm. it's really yeah it's a really really wonderful thing that i've never been able to reproduce for myself so i mm. want to get back to that place eventually what is your favorite piece that you've ever done or favorite improvisation so for wadawadas we would work pretty much every weekend maybe twice a weekend but often just once and often on a sunday sunday okay. afternoon was our time to work um and it was at the time, it was during, like, Fiesmus Fall, so I was, like, moving between, like, this craziness on campus, being in these occupations, and then mm. coming home. Historically, quite a relaxing time in the country. Yeah, yeah no. very chill, very chill. I was yeah. not stressed out at all. Yeah. Um, and so I would come home, and we would sit and chat and have a little bit of tea and talk nonsense and catch up on the week. And then I would either ask them, I would have questions to ask because I'd been researching during the week and then we would play or we would rehearse, air quotes rehearse, um, because rehearsing is just like developing an improvisational language between us. Not just, I think that's like a very legitimate form of yes. rehearsal. And I have this, obviously it's informed by like nostalgia or whatever, but I have always have this memory of the light in the room changing and becoming like really soft and, and glowing and like making this like ball almost around us as we like got deeper and deeper into playing and it literally never ever stopped so mm. always somebody would be playing if you like went to the bathroom or whatever everyone would just who was still there just continued for three or four hours every Sunday afternoon and that was our practice and I recorded all of these and there's one I have one recording of three or four minutes that's part of my that was part of my thesis um, and it's taken from like quite late on in one of those improvisational sessions and it's really quite beautiful um, at that time what we were doing is that I had found these because we were working on the Blake and Lloyd archives and where these archives um, overlapped with musical notation from I think Percival Kirby I don't know how they who came in contact with who probably one of the Blake grandchildren either gave Kirby notation or the other way around um, but it had to do with somebody notating the sounding practices of San people in Namibia, Botswana. Um, this was like late, by now late in the 19th century, um, maybe even early 
20th century and at that point we were like playing with those notations and thinking about like what we could do with them and so we had moved from the beginning of the session like playing them very straight like I would read the because they're western notated or like notated on western stuff so I would play them on violin and then by the end of the session it like shifted into this like completely other thing yeah. and that section it's like four minutes or something it's just like really quite stunning so it's two bows and viola I think I'd also moved on to viola so it's like a really interesting like research practice but it's also I think aesthetically became something really interesting
What is the best advice that you've ever received from a teacher or a mentor? Take a break. (laughs) (laughs) Take a break. Yeah. Yeah. I got so much good advice from Patrick, to be honest. Just about, like, being a balanced person. Because I'm really hard on myself. And I think he, he, like, really understood that in me and realized that taking the hard line was not gonna be the way through and so like learning when to step back um from things and like not being frustrated with them or like recognizing that when you're very frustrated with them like no amount of practice is gonna get you through and you just have to Push your instrument down and go for a walk yeah. and come back. I was probably the only non-smoker in the whole of the College of Music. So right. his thing was his thing was like you need to go for a smoke, and I was like, babe, I don't smoke. So he's like, okay, fine, go for a walk around. He always used to tease me about like how healthy I was or whatever. And I was like, that's not what it is. I literally just don't smoke. Um, so I think that was like a really big thing. Was that like the performance of working hard or practicing hard is not the same thing as like practicing well and like doing good work yes um at one point he like put me on a diet of literally i think i was allowed to practice two hours a day and one hour of that was open strings like long bows like meditation (laughs) and that was it like i wasn't allowed to do more than that so that was really really good advice Deezer was a really chill teacher. Okay. Deezer was just like really so warm and like your your person to go to to just like feel love and feel goodness in your life. I think the advice in terms of like moving forward really mm. came from from Patrick for me and in terms of like being a good musician and yeah, learning to like make things I suppose I don't understand I'm like so strict about things and how I make things I'm like very um, formulaic um, and I didn't think that I understood how to make music because I couldn't I wasn't expressive and he was like you don't have to be expressive in yourself there are like techniques for creating what we've marked as expressive right and you can just learn those that's, that's interesting what it yeah is. that like, is very very interesting um you don't have to like exuberate the things you know you can just <laughs> it's i can't remember they were all i want to say it was michael tuffin who's a lecturer at uct at one point who spoke about how much he hated puccini mm-hmm. and it was that thing of like he could see exactly what Puccini was doing, just structurally and, and everything, and it would still make him bawl his eyes out yeah. and, like, emotionally move him. But it for him, it was done in such, like, a meticulously crafted kind of, like, well, it's this gesture, and then I add a little bit of that, and I twist there a little bit. So, yeah, it, it is that interesting thing of, like, you know, there are, as you say, there are things that one has learned of, like, if you do a bit of more vibrato on this note, mm. that will elicit that kind of response or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
yeah. it was really great even though I'm not really in that realm anymore those I still really hold those things with me but I think also the the taking a break thing is very very important mm-hmm. like I've more and more kind of gotten into the habit of I have my bed desk and I sit and I write there and I very rarely get up now or do anything mm. um and it's that really stupid thing of I, the amount of times I've had this where like I should know I should know by now this is how you problem solve yeah. it's literally just as soon as I go outside to go for a walk and I'm about halfway between here and the shops and it's just like fuck that's exactly so what I need it. to do yeah um so yeah just how, how important that is yeah so the other the other big one is what would you suggest to an aspiring composer or to the south african music scene as a whole oh my god i think just keep making things because we don't okay i'm not here anymore so let me step back a little bit because i don't know what's going like what do you think is like is it growing do you feel like it's growing there are certain parts of which i think that are growing unfortunately a lot of live venues are closing although i've seen now recently there's a place i think called the raptor room which is just recently sort of i don't know if it's been around for a while but it's been coming more and more into my attention of like doing interesting things yeah like to the point where i saw recently like i think even mercury has kind of like branched outside of um doing just rock and stuff like that okay unfortunately something that i've noticed is that there are quite a few people who are moving up to joburg and I say, unfortunately, for people in Cape Town. Mm. And they, like, from what I understand, there is a lot happening in Joburg. Yeah. Cape Town is quite small, um, yeah. to a certain extent. I mean, it was inevitable because of the Cabral. Cabal? Cabal? Cabal. About? Is that what you call those things? I'm trying to figure out in what context. Like, the like new music scene was just going to move because it's like impossible to uh, to do anything, anything here. here um i suppose so i i'm quite like i'm fucking stubborn on that level like i will keep pushing yeah but i think um yeah it's possible mm-hmm. it's very very possible anyway okay that's good information okay <laughs> i just didn't want to like overstep the boundary of no like, not knowing well i think is like yeah i don't know i mean hence the question of like what would you suggest i just it hasn't been that long since you've been gone yeah um and i'm pretty certain like while there have definitely been changes they have been small and they're Mm -hmm. slowly building momentum i think yeah um i mean there's certain stuff like with electronic music that i've noticed now at uct as an example like the work that um that Meryl von Neu and uh, Theo Haps are doing there, yeah. like from what I understand from a lot of people, this is like really hip. Mm. Like the, the the stuff that's going on is is really good. Mm. Um, is it like electroacoustic or yeah um, yeah. Um, from what I understand, uh. so it it's not as if like things are not happening. Mm. If you'd asked me maybe six years ago, it would have been a different answer. Mm. So yeah, like I. Yeah. I suppose then it would just be to like create things that feel right and not that not to produce for a for an audience how do you how do you say that in a better way oh like, as in like that instead of trying to write to please an audience yeah so, yeah like not writing or not creating work that you think will do well it's to take risks I think. Of yeah. what you actually want to 
create. Yes. Um, because I think that the really magical things exist in those things that you actually want to create. And mm. I don't think that we can put energy into things that we want to half create. Yeah. Um, and I think so, like stepping into the really scary space of just doing the things that you are like, that are your wildest dream creations. Yeah. Um, is really the space that I like want everyone to step into. I'm finding that with this like film that I'm making right now that is just like, oh my god, I don't want anyone to see this because it's probably trash. But, but I'm gonna like do it because I think it's important because I keep saying this to everyone else is like just do the thing that you think, yeah, is that you want to do and you think is an important contribution, and let's all get on with it. And then for everyone else, like let's be supportive and be critical in the most generative way that we can yeah um let's like create like a critical scene to make people and their work the best possible that it can be rather than being pusses all the time sorry (laughs) probably can't swear on your podcast of course you can fucking swear as much as you want (laughs) like yeah because i think that it's such a small scene that we are geared to compete in it Mm. but actually that's to everyone's detriment and the greatest thing that we can do is create a really big eclectic scene yes and the only way that we can do that is to support everyone's yeah work right 100 percent agree and if we think that there is a way that a work can be better then we should be constructive in doing that rather than being like that person is cuck yeah and cutting them out, which I think is the way that we, as a South African community in art music, definitely, definitely. I think something that I have been trying to wrap my head around for a while is the notion of, I think the scene is bigger than we believe it is. Mm. And I think people are still treating it as if it were that small. Mm. And, not realizing it's that kind of thing of like you know everyone keeps going to like the same nightclub and it's just like this club is crap it's crowded (laughs) the music's not great not realizing that there are like 30 other clubs next door on the same road where people are not going yeah and it all it takes is one or two people to start going to the other clubs and then people realize oh wait i can actually get a seat at mm-hmm. this place or i don't know I'll, I'll stop with the analogy but i think like it is just a thing of like i think we have much more space than what we have been trained to believe yeah. or what we have viewed from mm-hmm. yeah from our own experience i don't know if that makes yeah, sense. yeah absolutely um but yeah I, yeah I agree that whole thing of like just to create and not to create if you're afraid that it's going to be a success or not like yeah. you just have to actually fall on your face like in order to, to do something and then like either fix the thing that didn't work or do another thing yeah. like there's no way of knowing what will work and not work until you do it, yes unfortunately. completely <laughs> So that is the gauntlet, have a shot, for those playing the drinking game, um, uh, of the questions that I ask all the composers. Uh, the last question that I usually ask is, I, uh, if people who listen to this, uh, if they have something that they've always wanted to ask a composer, um, so if you have anything, for those who are listening, you can send, find me on Facebook, or you can send it to me on Twitter at BatComposer. This is one that I got this morning, which is what is the most frustrating 
or challenging thing about your job, be it as a musician, as, a, as an academic? I can do both, I suppose. When I was like more, when I was in Cape Town and doing a lot more as an active musician, it was about finding work. Mm. Um, so we made a joke about this earlier, but like having to play cut gigs was really the most frustrating thing and yeah. being really tired and then not having time or energy to work on the things that I wanted to work yes. on. Um, and so a lot of people like talk to me now and they're like, oh, you must never have time to do the things you want to do. And I actually feel like I have more time now because even though I was doing that like more full time then, I was working, I was doing a lot of work that I didn't want to do yeah. in order to try to do the thing that I wanted to do. And I don't feel like I'm in that position so much right now. So it's not necessarily that like if you're doing it full time that you are doing the things that you want to do in it full time either. Yes. Um, and I found that incredibly frustrating that there was not always a lot of time to do creative work, which needs a lot of time, right? Yes. You need a lot of time to to sit and produce something from scratch, which is different from performing, I suppose. If you're only performing, maybe that's a different situation from mm. you know trying to compose work right now it's that I want to work on my dissertation and I have to teach a lot right. um, and teaching this teaching takes time yeah really takes time yeah um, and teaching like a course that I've already spoken about is like really weird and to to shape it into something that aligns with kind of the kind of ethics and politics that I'm concerned with takes a lot more time like if you want to do it properly and you want to really engage you have to put in a lot of work like you can be a really shitty teacher and you don't have to spend that much time on it or you can put a lot of time who <laughs> told you my strategy <laughs> like, yeah yeah, no. um, yeah so I really like teaching but I don't think in in all spheres and in all places, I don't think that there are like a lot of supports for teachers to mm. be like the best versions of themselves and spend time teaching. There's like so much admin and like bureaucracy before you can get to actually just teach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's quite frustrating. I <laughs> think. <laughs> So that's that. We've gotten through this. If people wanted to figure out, uh, that sounded ominous. We've gotten through this. <laughs> Let's try that again. So if people wanted to follow you for like more upcoming shows or collaboration stuff that you're doing, where's the best way that they could do that? Probably my Instagram. It's at Enrame. It's A I N R A underscore May M A Y. And anyone is also welcome to email me it's larissa j l-a-r-i-s-s-a-j at s-a-s dot u-pen u-p-e-n-n dot e-d-u
maar geneer en een gekerm dat die nooit zijn. Oral, waar die club kop rand te staan. Dan komen we, is niet kloren. Een man zijn naam.